Hello, Bloom Squad. Hi, everybody. <laughs> it's Emma here. And Taylor. And we have a brand new episode for you. We were on yeah. a hiatus. We were on a bit of a hiatus. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, it's the swing of like getting into summer, the spring into summer energy. We've both been kind of moving in different directions, also not in the same place right now. Yeah. So we had Ontario. Yeah. I'm in Ontario. Um, I'm again, actually, which is funny because our last episode, I was also in Ontario. Um, but yeah, I was just here briefly then. And now I've been here for a little bit preparing for the wedding. (laughs) And you're in Vancouver. Yeah, I'm in Coquitlam. I'm in the Burbs. And we're preparing for our big move to Nelson in September. So just, yeah, summer has really gotten a hold of me and just been kind of taking over which you know fair enough like I think it makes sense to let summer just work its magic on you and kind of be wrapped up in it welcome to the full bloom podcast where we talk about whatever the fuck we want and and you're you're invited invited. It's just, yeah, it's so important to be present in this time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's okay sometimes to let some things, you know, maybe take a back burner. Not that it's not a priority, but maybe it's it's okay to move at the speed of trust. Only the speed of trust. Only the speed of trust. That is the new thing right now, everyone. The latest and the greatest. And it makes me feel good. Yeah, it makes me feel so good to move at the speed of trust. Oh, God, it's applicable to everything. Yeah. I'm literally watching the moon reflect on the lake right now. And I'm like, well, that's the speed of trust. Yeah. And we've been so graceful with ourselves on slowly editing and releasing this episode, but that's kind of the best way to reflect on it is only the speed of trust. This was the speed at which we needed to be able to get it out to you. And it's a different episode than a lot of the others that we've done. And it's beautiful as well. Yeah. Yeah. We hope to find some magic in it and let us know how it makes you feel, but maybe we'll just let you listen to it now. So without further ado, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. We have another beautiful episode to share with you. Some very special guests. Yes. The type of voices of which we actually have not had on the podcast yet. Mm. Male ones. There's (laughs) men in the space, everyone. (laughs) But not just any men. 
before we introduce them, let's do our cycle check-in as okay. our ritual. I'm on day one. I just started bleeding today and it hit me like a monster truck. And um, yeah, that's the vibe. I'm drinking nettle because that's what we do when we bleed. And I've been drinking nettle for the past couple days. But actually, funnily enough, for the past week and a half or so, I was hiking like every single day in the national parks in California with my father. And then all of a sudden, one day I realized I was absolutely exhausted. And I was like, what's going on? And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be the new moon soon. I'm going to bleed soon. Maybe I should stop hiking four mountains a day. So. This bleed has actually been particularly painful. Like I've had like pretty intense cramps, but that's literally just because I was exerting myself and doing the absolute most instead of checking in with my body. So yeah, today I'm moving slow. I just had a giant chocolate chip cookie and that's the vibe. Good. What about you? I'm on day 26. So we're kind of slowly catching up to each other which oh, is very interesting. But yeah, so I'm I'm in the days before getting my period and just chilling, moving slower. Good, <laughs> as you should be. So to our guests that we mentioned, we actually have our fathers on our podcast today, this month. Last month we did mamas and now we're doing papas. So since y'all don't bleed, how has it been, I don't know, witnessing your daughters getting their period, having their period? What's that like for you? Do you find it weird, uncomfortable, normal? How does it feel? I'll, 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 it's Grant here. I'll start. Um, this is my dad. This is Emma's dad. Yeah. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's normal. So I'm not a, I don't even really think about it. I guess I'm kind of oblivious to it. Hmm. Father? Pretty normal. I'm pretty, uh, I got three girls in the house. So <laughs> it's a very regular thing. It's certainly, uh, it's never been something we shied away about talking about or anything like that. Don't have big conversations about it or anything like that, but it's certainly, yeah, it's part of something that happens all the time. I always say we should buy uh, tampons by the skid because we go through a lot of them in this house. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm an empty nester with a postmenopausal woman in the house, so I'm, I'm I need none of them. I was going to say he knows to get the combo Tampax Pearl with the plastic applicators. Trained <laughs> well. Well, you both have two daughters. Which is, you know, it's not like you just had to go through the whole puberty thing once, but you kind of had to go through it twice. Was it ever like, I don't know, easier the second time? Or did you kind of just like, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say we dad ever had like any kind of talk really around it. But was it something that you thought about like before you had kids or when we were young being like, oh, man, I'm going to like have to deal with this or like get to know my daughter's in this more intimate way. Never even crossed your mind really at that time. It's just something that happens. You don't even, I didn't, I'm not the one who had the talks about it though. 
<laughs> my wife Funny, had to talk actually, to him about that for sure. We talked about this in our last episode. Neither Emma or I really had like the talk ever. Yeah. Even with our moms. I, I don't remember. I mean, it's it's been quite a while since that kind of time in your in Emma's life. But I remember my wife, you know, Sarah talking to her or wanting to talk to her about it. I guess it didn't really happen. But um, um, yeah, I don't I just actually don't remember. <laughs> we just kind of just carried on. And Yeah, I think that's kind of the common way it goes. Like, I mean, I think more so nowadays it's becoming more something that is mentioned in households and like talked about but like did you guys ever have those conversations with your dads or your moms not a chance yeah about periods yeah. <laughs> no just about no. like you know your body's changing sexuality puberty, puberty. No. i think i probably had it explained to me and stuff because like my parents were very especially my mother very like uh, matter of fact and let's get stuff out and let's let's not like don't be afraid to talk about it she was a teacher too so she would have like taught sex ed and stuff like that like back in, uh, oh really I don't, I don't remember any formal like sit down about it but i do remember talk about it like there's never avoiding the subject it was also, anything you really want to talk about was always open to talk about and stuff that's really awesome i i can picture the way grandma would talk at like have the sex talk would be very like she's like Virgo 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 would be very like this is this and this is that and this is what happens and that's it you have any questions (laughs) (laughs) so then just in general you both have two girls and no sons what was that like did you ever like want to have sons or like what what's that like i mean i think you just want to have healthy happy kids and you know i I never really thought that whether i would have boys or girls or whatever it was what it was but um i was you know i always said i was more than happy to have two girls i think it was a real blessing and i was really happy uh in the end to have two girls and and we Always wanted to have at least two kids. We never had a third. And if it had a, we if we had of it, had it been a boy, great. If it was another girl, that would have been great. You just didn't really, didn't really care so much, hey? No. That's really interesting. I, I don't know. I just personally feel like people are always like, oh, I really want to have a boy or I really want to have a girl. But I guess at the end of the day, when you have your kid, like, it do- it really doesn't matter, does it? And then too, with the like having two kids thinking about like what you'd play with them or what you'd do with them and stuff. I guess like some people like really, really gender that one way or the other. You know, we were open to whatever you kids wanted to do. And, you know, you just didn't really get that involved in team sports, which, you know, I was a fan of team sports and and I would have been happy to do those things with you. Um, It's more a question of what I like to do, trying to get you involved. So I tried to, you know, introduce you a little bit to golf, which is something I like. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you know, neither of you showed much interest in it other than the uh, candy at the snack bar and, the, and riding in the golf cart. <laughs> Honestly, I did love it. Like I loved parts of it. I loved obviously the golf cart. Yeah. The snack cart. I loved just being outside and how you bought me like a set of clubs from Canadian Tire. Like, that <laughs> yeah, was I was awesome. so excited to buy those with the pink flamingo head cover. Yeah, I still like, in the garage. That's such a good memory, but I also remember like taking lessons and when you weren't there 
And it was so boring. It was like, I liked going <laughs> with you, but I didn't yeah. want to actually take lessons and take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, you know, you, you, you guys did mostly like something like dance, which, um, you know, we, we went to sometimes two or three different dance classes on a Saturday to, and, and that was ballet, jazz, tap, hip hop, you, you know, you name it. We were, yeah. I had some really fond memories, especially of when you were doing that and you and I, had I can't remember what night of the week it was Tuesdays Tuesdays yeah we'd go to to um e- either uh that Mexican place or oh my god what was it called the one on Kensington. Uh, Julio's Barrio Julio's Barrio and we'd played war with our cards for like yeah. what felt like hours but probably not that long so that was a just the thing that we did together after dance yeah. and then had that time together which you know was a very good memory for me and yeah sounds like um you know you you as well yeah Dwight you did you have that with Taylor because Taylor did dance too yeah she did they they did a lot of dance later on they actually were in it for years both both were girls right yeah we did everything everything anything I could have really done I would try it if it was boy or girl I don't care you want to go skiing let's go outdoors let's go camping let's go (laughs) we used to play Barbies like endlessly like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we had some good games of Barbie. Like, yeah, we we would just mix it up and do anything that yeah they're doing. They they like while we're growing up, they learned to work out with me, and they enjoyed that. They would do outdoor stuff. They would go like you know skiing with me, hiking. Like they we just did everything with them: swimming, boating. Yeah, I didn't see. I don't really think it had any kind of a gender role, really. So. Yeah, and you know what? When I really think about it, I never felt like. I was doing one type of thing, like, because I was a girl and like, yeah, I really felt like we were, you guys were just open to us being active kids generally. Right. Like, yeah, just try uh, skiing as well. You know, we obviously had some great memories from ski trips over the years and uh, did a lot yeah, of that. It was, it was, that was a memory. Okay. I have another question. Um, what did you guys learn about fatherhood from your fathers, like things that you either were like, yes, I, that felt important to me or things that you were like, I want to do things a little differently. I always learned really from my dad was just very, he was never like a major authoritarian or like you just do things my way and that's it. And you're very aggressive. Like you didn't get smacked around or anything like that. If you actually were out of line or so I always learned. And he was always very, very, very my mother and how important my mother my mother was like the the queen in our home kind of thing so I learned I think a lot of respect for women and understanding and and not just being a male chauvinist things that you might hear in the playground or stuff like that so I learned I learned a lot from my dad just being respectful and loving and actually uh, caring and enjoying your family and being active and being a good person really is I think I think that's uh, sums up what I learned from my father mm-hmm. that's really beautiful what about you, Dad? Um, I, the probably my biggest core value is integrity, and and my dad was in the RCMP, and so then ultimately he joined uh, CSIS. Uh, he was in the security service for the RCMP when when CSIS started. He went there, so he was somebody you could not lie to. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it was just literally impossible, and so. You know, we operated with a high level of integrity in, in our house. And, and um, to this day, I think that defines 
me and how I approach life. I value people who are truthful and honest. And, and um, I, I, I really am challenged by those that I, I find are not. Uh, so he influenced me a lot that way. Um, you know, he, he did his best. He was, he was, he was a lot of fun to be around. And um, I'm, you know, one of the most fun memories I have is playing hockey. I was a goalie and uh, I, you know, he attended a lot of my stuff, just like, I think, you know, I think we did with you. And uh, you know, when you make a save and the play goes down to the other end, all the people in the audience are looking the other way, except for my dad would be looking back at me and he'd be giving me the nod, right? Like the, or clapping if I made a good mm. save. And it was just a moment between me and him that was just, you know, amazing to, to, to think back on. Oh, I love that. So sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that like, like consistent support when everyone else is looking the other way, like yeah. that supportive person in the audience, they're looking at you being like, good job. That's, that's huge. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that probably formed how I would think about, you know, how I'd want to spend, uh, focus on supporting my, my kids, um, to answer your question, I guess. And one of the challenges we we had was my, my mom went through, uh, terminal breast cancer, you know, when I was 10 till I was 15. So it it was a tough time. It was a formative years for me, but, um, you know, and then afterwards he did his best to, to kind of deal with that. And then, and ultimately got remarried and um, it was a challenging, you know, a challenging time for him. So I, you know, certainly saw what he had to do as a, as a widowed father to deal with cooking and cleaning and forming new relationships and, you know, all the things that he had to do to, to deal with that change, massive traumatic change in his life. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And, and that kind of is like, you know, I was going to ask you another question, like whether become becoming a dad helped you understand your parents more. And like you said, you know, he, he did his best, like all our parents, we believe that they, they do their best, but we really don't know what it's like to be in their shoes until perhaps we become parents. And Mm -hmm. I bet that was pretty, like gave you some compassion for him. Hey, It, it did. Um, you know, he struggled a lot with, um, alcoholism through that time frame because he, it was his escape. So, you know, that was a real challenge for, for him. And I watched him go through that. And, um, you know, I, I hope that never happened to me uh, to deal with my stresses and pressures, but I never had to deal with anything that traumatic. So, right. you know, it's, um, understandable, but, um, you know, he ultimately escaped from it, uh, over time and, and got, you know, got a bit more healthy, but, um, yeah, it was a, that's, that was a real, thing I, I reflect back on and think what a you know huge challenge that was for him and 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 it was hard for him to deal with it how did your values in general change once you became a dad like your values maybe how did they shift or like how did your lifestyle shift what was like the main things that you were like oh, okay like now I'm a dad like this needs to change or that just that transition I guess and when you become a dad, it certainly changes because when you're young, you're like he's only five years old, so at 25 years old, you're pretty much about partying and having fun. And <laughs> and then when you have a child, it's just like, whoa, like this, this is my responsibility. I need to cool down a little bit and focus. And really, a lot of actually, once you have kids, you actually spend a lot of your year really just focusing on 
and when you're in that you're just in the moment and just focusing on them and having fun with them and looking after them and supporting them and looking and then when you actually get older you realize whoa i don't even know what i do anymore because i'm so used to being focused on the children right like it's Mm. it's not just the children the family unit period right the whole what are we gonna do together where are we gonna go together how are we gonna so yeah it's a it's it's a change but it's definitely a change for the better it's certainly something that just opens your eyes and goes wow i now i have more of a focus like i know i know what i want to do now i know what i'm doing i know what i'm working for and these types of things it starts to give you a real focus as compared to when you're you know just 25 and you're focused on and I wonder where my next case of beer is and making sure I just have a job so I could buy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were we, we were pretty young parents uh, as well, Dwight. I think I was 26 when we had our first. Um, and so, you know, that, that does change you suddenly because, you know, our, certainly in our case, it was um, the, the, uh, our oldest was a, what do we call her? A love child? Emma? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we had to make some, you know, big decisions and change our lives pretty rapidly. But, uh, you know, that was actually, you know, good for our relationship and to focus on being a parent, supporting each other, moving to a city where we didn't know a lot of people and um, making our, our way in the world and, you know, paying bills and making sure we had money for diapers and food and rent and all those things that you have to do when you're starting out as a parent. And so as a young parent, I think it's especially challenging. Um, and I admire uh, young young parents, but I admire young single parents even more. Just, you know, at least there were two of us and we could help each other. Um, we supported each other uh, a lot through that phase. But, um, yeah, I mean, totally changes your life. You've got to make uh, compromises and decisions very, very quickly about what you can and can't do. And every once in a while, you have to twist off a little bit and remind yourself that you're still a young person and still trying to have fun. So. You still have to like find a balance between like incorporating still being a young person and like enjoying your life and enjoying things and also like switching to this more responsible role. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You still have fun. We had a lot of fun still. Like, we took you everywhere. We went a lot of places and did a lot of things. I just uh, incorporated now. I'm taking my daughter with me, but yeah, <laughs> you met you met lots of your friends when you were that age. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys really just like I mean Dwight. I don't know Dwight and Jen's story as intimately, of course, as I know my own parents. But you guys really just fucking figured it out. Like mm-hmm. you just had to. Yeah, we yeah, we didn't have a um, support network here with of other you know family members. Grant, you know our parents weren't weren't here, um, and so yeah, we took our you know kids everywhere and. I see people doing that now and I, I don't think anything of it. I, I, we did it. We took them. I remember taking you to restaurants, you know, when we, we wanted a night out, we took you with us. I don't know that you guys must've had some kind of like, I don't know if scary is the right word, but just some moments where you were kind of like, Oh my God, like, what have we gotten ourselves into? I miss my old life. Uh, I don't really, I don't really remember that. Cause again, we did a lot of stuff still with, with Taylor. It was actually a really exciting, like <laughs> I spoiled Taylor, like, like rotten when <laughs> I just yeah I was really I was really excited about having uh, um, having a daughter it was just yeah it was, uh, it was an eye opener wow okay we're having a we're having a baby but once once she came and stuff like that it was just yeah it was just a full throng pretty much like this is fun and it, certainly it's not all easy that's for sure there was lots of lots of challenges and stuff like that but it was exciting challenges right it's like a new adventure. 
I don't know. I guess I'm interested in people getting like really just being willing to talk about like the hard stuff because I feel like it's not spoken about. But if you really like when you look back, you're like, no, it was all like mostly good memories. I mean, that's amazing. Well, you you, you know, you make I, I think you're you're asking, do you ever like have regrets or do you think you wish you had your old life or what could have been? No, I, I don't at all, actually. Um, yeah. We met a lot of our great long-term friends through through, the, through you guys. Um, you know, people that we got to, we became friends with and still are friends with. You know, we're through their meeting them through the school, and and um, you know that's been a huge huge thing for our, our lives. Yeah. Um, but I, you, know, you make your choices and you make them work, and, and that's that's as simple as it can it can be. That of course there's a you know a grind there's bad things that happen you have to roll with it um deal with it but you just make it work somehow hmm. yeah taylor like one of the earliest in our friends groups and stuff like that and then but like shortly thereafter other people started having children and we just actually all hang out and some of those kids like are like considered family to taylor and megan now and stuff for for the years that we've had so yeah we just we really enjoyed it Mm. yeah we feel the same way some of emma's friends we feel like they're are part of our family still probably to this day Mm -hmm. yeah it's cool like thinking back on like being a kid and like i don't know if this was the way it was for you guys but we used to have we had like a group of friends where it was like our parents friends and then their kids and they were just like we just on the weekends just always hung out with those people. Like those were just like the weekend people like Steve and Lee were just like always on the weekends. Cause then they had kids that were relatively mine and Megan's age. And that just, yeah, it just like ends up becoming a melting pot of everybody together, which is really beautiful because it's like a new way of spending time with your friends instead of just like, well, you still drink, did drink all the beers, but drank them with, kids around (laughs) (laughs) this is true yeah Yeah. we didn't change entirely (laughs) i didn't become a monk or anything but yeah we i i think um you know one of the pieces of advice i got once from somebody was you know and i really adhere to it was make your house the go-to house and then you've got you know not so much the parents would come over maybe drop off their kids and might have a drink go but or or you'd have them over and then they'd leave but the kids we'd have the sleepover house and yeah, so, we really did. It's not like you need to control the situation, but you can, you know, you're your kids' friends. You can see them, who they're dealing with, and and you know who you might be want to be concerned about, which you know we rarely were. But um, uh, you know, we just had a lot of fun having all the girls over. Yeah, that's definitely the house that we want to be. That's the way I was brought up to. My house was like that. My parents were very open. All our friends, friends, and I had three brothers. Like all of them, people came in and out. We had like an entryway down to the basement. You can come from the drive came in out of there all day like all the time and my parents were just very you know receptive and come on in people felt at home and yeah we always wanted that same thing right that's so interesting and I it's so funny because we so were that house and I I'm so thankful that we were because it made my life so fun but um it's funny to hear like that there's kind of a reasoning behind it because you know you want to know like what's going on and you want to be able to hear like I don't know, not that you guys were ever like eavesdropping or that you probably didn't even want to eavesdrop, but like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're all in the hot tub having conversations about 
uh, the beginnings of your sexual lives. I didn't oh, want God. to that, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. But to know that, like, we were all safe and, like, being taken care of in under your home, like, that probably felt pretty good, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, as I'm sure you know, I mean, one of the most fun things was having, uh, getting up in the morning and making breakfast for everybody and getting up yeah. early you know getting creative going shopping and getting stuff that i wanted to try and make and grant the breakfast king you will always be known as that <laughs> yeah. amongst my yeah. friends even i know that you're the breakfast king <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i really it's something i really took a lot of pride in and, and had so much fun with and i just enjoyed watching everybody enjoy it you know the girls well, all love and it was Every just time the- i come to calgary i'm looking for breakfast but- <laughs> right, that's what i was boy. just gonna say but it was infused it. with so much love like i really think to like to get as cheesy about it as possible like that's why it was enjoyable because it was such a loving atmosphere and you know even just the way you like cooked the food and were I remember like you know whenever Maddie mostly my friend Maddie would be so excited and you'd just be like she'd be eating and she'd be like oh my god it's so good and you'd just be grinning ear to ear (laughs) so stoked (laughs) I loved it that's actually funny, this relationship between dad and breakfast. Because when I think about like my dad and breakfast, he would always bring us breakfast in bed on like one of those trays you can sit in your bed. And it was just like always, always a thing. Like mom never did that. Like she would get the breast in bed at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny that that's just like this, like, like dad's and breakfast for some reason. Um, I have a question about... Not that either of you are retired yet, but you're kind of nearing that stage of life. You're empty nesters, more or less. I know Dwight Megan is still around, but you have adult children. What is it like being in this sort of shift? Does it feel like there's a big change or has it been quite gradual? Like, what is that like? It's a lot different because as I said, like uh, for many years, you're just on the run trying to... uh look after your family and make sure you get everything that you that they need and focus on what can we do with them and where and how and when you really do for many years all of a sudden you kind of slipped into this mode where you're focused really on your family and, you, and then all of a sudden the kids are like gone and Megan's home but she drops in like 15 minutes at a time lots of times like whoo, whoo, gone right so then you're starting to say okay what did I used to spend all my time doing and stuff like that so you really start looking back and saying what what are the other things that I used to enjoy doing that I could do back then that I wasn't doing. And, and then you just try try to kind of look for what those things are. So it is definitely different. And it's certainly something I'm still actually grasping with or actually um, figuring out. I got all this free time now. Now I need to know what, what exactly I want to fill it with. So, so it is, yeah, it's very unique. That's for sure. These are, um, you know, tra- there's always transitions in, in life that, uh, you know, affect people differently. I mean, the first of all, the empty nester one to address that as young parents, you know, we, we end up having being young when we have no kids at home. And I know a lot of people my age who have still quite, you know, quite young kids actually. Um, so they're having a different experience entirely. So we were, you know, young when, when you guys all, you know, were going to university at least anyway, and neither of you lived here. So we are, we experienced um, early, uh, I'd say empty nesting. And that challenges your personal you know, your spousal relationship in a, in a way, because you focus so much on the kids, you kind of look at each other at some point. And I remember 
that moment where we're like, okay, what do we do now? You know, and, and, and you have to revisit your own relationship. Yeah. At that point and say, that's huge. And, you know, you'd be shocked, you know, not shocked probably how many people decide to end their relationship at that point. And so you have to recommit to that, you know, that, that, that person in your life that's, you know, been a huge part of helping you raise successful kids. And then you, you know, then you get, it's going to be back to about the two of you again. Uh, the second part is, you know, retirement to talk about that. I mean, I do that for a living. I help people retire basically um, is, is what I do. So I'm dealing with that constantly at work and it's weird. I've started thinking about it more myself because I'm in that last, we call it the critical 10 period in your life, which is the five years before you retire and the five years after. And um, I'm in that window of the five year, the critical 10 now myself. So my last five years of work. And then what do you do in those first five years of, of uh, retirement? And it's an incredibly stressful time for a lot of people and very frightening for a lot of people. Not only, you know, wondering if you have enough money to do it, but what are you going to do with yourself? And again, um, you know, will you be healthy? Will you be, where will you want to live? What will you, uh, will you, ha- well, how will you spend your money? All those things. So there's, there's many, many challenges. And it's, it's interesting having dealt with helping so many people go through that to be now thinking about it myself. So, uh, you know, I think I'm qualified and good at it. So I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm enjoying that part of it, thinking I can do this. I, I but it's it, when it's yourself, you, you know, you really, um, you know, brings on a different kind of feeling, I guess. And it, it's really, I was going to ask too, like, yeah, whether it affects your relationship, because for so long, you and your partner are mom and dad, you're this unit, you're parenting for like a good chunk of your life. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're kind of individuals again and that must really challenge people that maybe don't have like any hobbies you have to have common ground you, you have to you have to be thinking about what you want to do together it, it can't be I'm going to do this and you're going to do that I mean you just drift apart that way so there, there's got to be some way of doing things that you both enjoy Dan and I both work from home too so it definitely it's definitely a change but working from home so sometimes she actually wants to go out and do stuff without me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, that's I see you nonstop every day, yeah, all day. So yeah, super film. But yeah, again, finding some other things in the community to get involved in that you can actually you find that you can actually give some of your time maybe in the community and do things that just being involved that might be be interesting. I started volunteering a little bit, and uh, Jen does that as well. But then yeah, it's 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 certainly a, I don't think I've got it right down pat, but we we certainly I try to going out hiking and these types of things. But we we still do a lot of stuff to agree definitely you have to make sure that you work on your 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 relationship again too it is it is changing it's evolved right it's rare too that i nowadays or at least it seems like that you two are still married to the same woman the same partner that you've always had and have had your children with i remember when the kids are growing up how many divorces and stuff parents and and some of the impacts of that and watching, it's like, my goodness, it's, it's stupid up there. So. Actually, I'm thinking about Haley. Haley had four kind of main friends and we, we were the only of the, so five girls would hang out together and we were the only uh, married couple still. Right. All of them were divorced. Yeah. And then I actually have talked about that before, how it's interesting that like both of us have parents that are still together because it is so rare. Like mm-hmm. only a couple of my friends, I think can say the same, which is really cool. And it's, 
it's interesting how thinking about how that probably affects the way Emma and I look at relationships and yeah. can see like the longevity of them where I feel like a lot of people kind of lose that ability to see it when you don't have any proof that it can be a thing. Totally. And I think also like, yeah, I feel really lucky to have a relationship that I can look up to and even just ask you guys questions about your marriage and and not that necessarily like if you have divorced parents that you know you don't have anything to look up to because sometimes people get divorced and that was like the right thing you know like it was totally to do and it was good for their ecosystem of their family it's cool to be able to have that to to look up to and yeah I guess I'm grateful for you guys for sticking it out doing the thing (laughs) doing the thing (laughs) Well, it takes a lot of compromise and a lot of and, and commitment. To, you're making a choice. And the minute, very minute one of you, want, you know, doesn't want to be committed, um, it's over. It, it can't just be one person. It has to be two, both people committed. What is your relationship to aging? Like, apart from it being like about your kids and the transition away from the family, like you as men, what is that like? Uh, it, mm. it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. I yeah, was, literally uh, fair enough. Literally in the last week, I was feeling really down last week. Um, and everybody could tell at work. And I was, and I was, you know, just dealing, I felt like I I was dealing with an ever growing laundry list of little health problems. And, and it seems like you can't get rid of them. They just, um, they just kind of keep um, adding up, you know, I have this inventory of them and I'm thinking, what is happening to me? But it's normal when you, you know, I'm, I'm 58. So it comes with the territory and, and um, you just have to, try and deal with it you know as as, uh, as you go along and uh every you find out very quickly that you're not alone and everybody's got something they're dealing with so you yeah. gotta stop feeling sorry for yourself and, and just say you know i'm gonna deal with my reality and and um uh and then be open to you know hearing from other people and and uh, talking them through what their problems are yeah you do start getting little aches and pains and stuff like that you never got before and everything like that but uh, I think you just got to keep on pushing forward and keep on doing this stuff. I try not to limit myself in anything I can really do. I try to keep on saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. But yeah, sometimes your body wakes up and goes, Ooh, it's really sore there. Or, really... <laughs> <laughs> or your, your one day hangover becomes a three day hangover. Oh yeah. The hangover, yeah. The hangovers are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't drink like I used to. That's for sure. No. Well, and we <laughs> talked to, we talked to mo- like our moms in the last episode about, you know, their changes and everything. And I know dad, you're really familiar with mom's struggle with menopause and all of that, but I guess it's different for men, right? Because you don't really have this like threshold or major event that's going on or like this big hormonal change. I'm sure there's still hormonal changes, but it's not really something that's titled. Like for men, it's kind of just like you're aging, you're getting older and you are getting older (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's a privilege in life to get older but but uh, worse is not getting older right yeah and (laughs) andropause is a male uh, health issue that um affects 
men uh, with respect to testosterone levels. What's it called? Andropause. Interesting. And it, and what it makes your testosterone levels like plummet or what? Yeah. Low, they low, low testosterone. And then it, that affects certain health issues or right feelings of tiredness. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I don't believe I suffer from it, so I don't, I haven't really looked into it, but I'm, I'm aware of it. No, that's really interesting. Cause another thing that I want to learn more about, but I just haven't really come across is, you know, how Taylor and I talk about our cycles and, you know, women have this like 28 or so day cycle day cycle. Right. And so for us, it's like a month and then it's one cycle and then the next one. But for men, I've learned, and maybe you know more about this than I do, that your cycle is actually like one day at a time and like your testosterone rises like in the morning and then goes down. Like, do you know anything about that? No, uh, I, I can't think I've, I've ever really thought about it or, or you know, been um, aware of it. I really thought about testosterone levels on a day-to-day basis. Doctors and medicals are pushing people to take these, uh, take these supplements and stuff like that. Well, the whole healthcare industry is pushing all these supplements and stuff like that, your testosterone and stuff. But really, I think most of it is just actually keeping yourself in good shape and keeping your, your attitude right and eating properly. You know, affiliated with, especially with testosterone, I think there's a toxic male culture vibe to, to that, you know, and everybody has to be, um, no matter how old you are, you know, you can conquer the, the world of industry, finance and sports and, um, you, you know, you, you name it, right. Women, you know, you can, you, you can be, have all these things. Um, and, and that's, you know, that, that is, is, is the kind of fallacy of, of, you know, touching on being a, you know, what it's like to be a, a man and what male problems are. It's just trying to live up to those ideals. And, and then um, one, one of the things that, you know, I was going to just mention about the, all of that is it's really tough. I, I think I find to, to have male relationships that are uh, kind of open and supportive to that. Um, talking about those, any issues that you might be having, because it's a sign of weakness when you open up to, to a lot of people about things that you want to talk about, whether it's mental health or, you know, physical health or, or sexual health or anything, you try to talk to your friends about that. And they look at you like, I don't have that problem. I'm, you know, that. <laughs> I get the competition. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. But you quickly learn you can't do that. You just, you know, and so you have nobody to talk to in a way. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, that is so interesting about male relationships I think it's maybe changing a little bit now but there I've I've spoken to so many men that are like oh I wish I could be part of like a men's group or something where we could talk about men's realities because women I think historically have kind of had to band together and like we come together and we talk about like all of the shit amongst our female friends like that's just what women do you're friends with me okay we talk about everything but with men it's like often quite surface level almost it's like there's this handful of topics that we can talk about and then the rest of it's like off limits because like yeah like don't don't be too emotional or like or like literally like don't be a pussy (laughs) (laughs) i've heard it many times yeah (laughs) (laughs) but then yeah like who are you supposed to talk to about this stuff? Cause you can talk to your partners, but they're ultimately like 
not experiencing the same things and they go to their friends to talk about their woman's stuff so yeah like do either of you have like would you say you genuinely like don't have anyone that you could have these conversations with or have there been people over time that you felt a bit more comfortable with being able to talk about your realities I have some good friends that I can talk about pretty much anything with and we share stuff about that type of like, that type of stuff and then others that you wouldn't and then right yeah if they're not really close friendships you're not really going to start talking about that stuff right but I'm talking like you know like your handler of a couple of buddies that you really could actually just talk about anything you feel comfortable and you're not embarrassed you're not worried about being you know seen as a pussy or anything like that right so, right yeah I can see definitely like if you go expand it outside of that just to your kind of like more like this superficial friends kind of thing or the friends that you can might hang out with by the time you're not like brothers with or something like that then yeah like you're not going to bring up that type of stuff right yeah those relationships evolve over time too and and um at some points in time you feel like you've got people like that and then you know maybe those relationships change or evolve and then you don't have anybody for a while so you you know they come and go too unfortunately um um so I, I think that's right. Very, very, you, you've got to be very careful, very selective with who you let in, into the tent to, uh, to have those conversations with. Do you think that having daughters helped you both get more in touch with your emotional feminine side? Uh, I, I, yeah, I actually, I think that's probably a valid for me. I, I would say definitely. To like have those conversations or like if something's troubling your daughter to be able to actually like talk about it kind of thing. I know a lot of men like are just raised to be like, we don't talk about emotions, but women just like don't operate that way. Well, that's not true. That's a sweeping generalization. Lots do, but (laughs) still like, I guess like I'm thinking about my relationship with my dad. Like, you know, there's been times when I was growing up that I'd be crying and he would just, did not know what to do with himself but ultimately I think like mm-hmm. you like dad you've like definitely grown to be able to like talk about this stuff a bit better not great all the time but like better definitely so I wonder how you think that's influenced you I've always been a fixer so I just want to fix things so if we're crying we need to understand why we're crying and how we fix it <laughs> and what I learned what I learned about like a house full of women and something like that they don't necessarily always want you to fix it they just want you to listen i'm not very good at that i'm not good at li- if we're crying we need to figure out what's why is why we're crying and how we how we feel better right and a lot of cases they don't want you to do that and that's a very that's a very difficult thing for me and i've certainly been trying to learn from it and i've actually taken a lot of tutelage from uh my lovely daughter taylor on this subject because <laughs> <laughs> tutelage and, and, and for my wife sometimes it's they're not interested in solving the problem. They really want you to listen. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm getting better. Uh, Dwight, you just defined one of the funniest videos reminding me of it. I haven't seen it for a while, but it's this, it's the nail in the forehead. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> you have to, uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to try and find it, but it's a couple <laughs> talking to each other and, and the, the woman has a nail in her forehead and the guy just wants to pull out the nail and she's trying to describe how it's making her feel and how it's catching <laughs> on her it, it catches on her sweater and he's just like you have a nail in your forehead and I could just pull it out and, and it's not about the nail. So oh my god. Yeah. Don't pull it out. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. And he she wow. just wants to listen. Honestly, I feel like, so I seen. Just pull it out. 
yeah, it's not just it's not about the nail or nail, you know, nail on the forehead or something like that. It'll, I'm sure it'll come up. It, it it's a- not about the nail. <laughs> That's so true. Exactly. Whoa, what is it about, man? How do I fix it? Yeah. <laughs> That's making me crack up. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to see it. I'll see, I'll try to find it for the demo. Wow. Yeah, Grant's good for sending videos like that. So nice transition from what you said father um what do you guys think that you've what are the main things that you have learned from your daughters one of them is that one thing i've learned about girls in general are very vicious to each other in a lot of cases <laughs> although <laughs> although not, not not you and megan to each other but like just from girls groups and stuff like that and through school and when girl when you would come home and stuff like that that the relationships between girls girls friends groups and males are are quite different right so well, that's well, think, the sisterhood wound, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think your generation, I, I admire how you guys have, uh, almost to the contrary. I know that can be true and is true. Um, probably more so of young, even younger women in, the, in the, their teenage years. But uh, I, I'm, I'm admiring how people, women in your generation are very supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. And, and so I definitely see that in, you know, and Emma and Haley and all of her friends. Um, I take, I'm very proud of the fact that we've raised two very loving, caring uh, young ladies. And, um, uh, you know, that um, doesn't just happen. You, you have to create that kind of environment. So, uh, I, you know, what I've lear- learned from them, I, I, I'm just, I, I've had to learn to not, um, to let them be who they want to be and what they want to do. And just support it, um, and just allow them to to succeed and grow, and be just be proud of them and just love them. Mm. That's very tender. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I, and just to kind of like circle back to what Dwight, what you mentioned about seeing the difference between like male relationships versus female relationships, and. Um, I know, like, I'm sure Taylor has told you about, like, the sisterhood wound, which we like. Oh, I've feminist theoried his ass on multiple (laughs) occasions. (laughs) Taylor and I are both, like, you know, in university, very much taking, like, women's studies and theory on, like, sexism and misogyny and all of that stuff. So I'm sure you remember while we were in university, probably coming home and being like, here's why you're wrong. And here's this theory and here's that. But, but no, it's true. Like, I think that kind of like wound where we feel that competition between women is, is such a unfortunate and, and it's not like a natural phenomenon, but it's, it's something that we were all kind of raised with having this competition amongst one another and, you know, men suffer from it too. Like how dad, you were talking about this competitive spirit where you, you can't be losing or like a loser. You can't have any issues because then you're, you know, just like not winning. You're not in first place and weak. Weak. Yeah. Weak. Weak Exactly. And 
I think we all kind of have that. We all have this like ego problem. Wound. Wound. Yeah. It's really just a wound. And then when we get to the bottom of it, it's like, man, we all just want to be loved and be able to they've taught me to listen more that's the biggest hugest thing is to listen that's one of the biggest things I've, uh... yep and as you said dwight i'm a i'm like i'm a fixer too i get that and and um you, you know we we want to fix but you know you really should just listen and let them solve it themselves be consultative with them yeah and i i guess that's got to have something to do with having daughters who are trying to figure out like their own emotions right it's like you can't actually fix us you can't tell us what to do because we have no idea it's like when you have a screaming toddler which you guys probably remember when either of your daughters would have some kind of meltdown and you had to be like oh my god there's no reason here I can't tell them to just like calm down because <laughs> like they don't know how <laughs> I'm just trying to make them smile while they're crying about what I could appear is nothing. Like, I, what you crying about again? You know nothing? what I'm crying about? All the hormonal changes going on in my body, <laughs> and I don't understand. I don't do real, real well with crying in general, especially if it's like I don't even know why you're crying. I want you to stop crying. I want to fix it right away. Let's go get some ice cream. We'll do that. Let's. <laughs> and I'm just like I'm depressed. I gained weight. My face broke out. I'm nauseous. I'm constipated. My feet swell. My gums are bleeding. My sinuses are clogged. I got heartburn. I'm cranky, and I have gas. <laughs> That sounds like me. <laughs> I have all those things. It's from Saturday Night Live. For some reason, I memorized it. I was like a six-year-old and it's still in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you guys have anything else you want to share, but I have kind of a final closing question. What advice would you give your 25-year-old I, self? I, I, I love that question. I was, I was thinking about that. I was going to ask that one if you didn't ask it. But uh, my, my, the advice I would give is to myself is you can still make the NHL, you know. <laughs> no, um, I, I a little later than 25. You know, we we had a lot of changes in our mid 20s to deal with, but um, I uh, so you know, being 25 and thinking about that, it's a time in your life when everything's in front of you, and you you just have to make decisions about which path you go on, and you have to be able to correct your path. But uh, the the best advice I heard around the time I was 30 was take a chance and make it work um, and I heard that from two very successful people and I, I adopted that philosophy so you know just you've got to be take risks and you've got to you've got to do everything you can to make that risk uh, work out for you mm. what's your current risk Ooh. well, well uh, my current risk is just the change that happened to me almost four years ago with um my career to go, you know, to go back to being in a, a portfolio manager uh, rather than being in management. And um, I've been, you know, very focused on that. And, and uh, I'm determined to make, I have made that successful and I, I'm determined to make it successful for the rest of my, my working career. And I'm very proud of what I've done, you know, rising from that, uh, the ashes of that change to where I am today. Ooh, like a Phoenix. Love. Yeah. Dwight, what about you? What would you uh, tell your 25-year-old self? I would say be more aware of what you're doing. Enjoy your time more. Be more aware of what you're doing instead of just rushing through a lot of stuff. I feel like I did a lot of stuff, but I rushed through a lot of stuff. And really just take take those moments in and, and enjoy mm-hmm. them more and to be there more. And instead of just, I'm, I'm one of be those present. people. Be present. 
yeah, be present. Very fast paced to run through things, one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, really just to spend some more time really enjoying the people and the actual experiences. What are some ways that you're practicing slowing down now? Emma, go off. <laughs> Is it the hair? It's the hair. It's the hair. <laughs> oh, God. I love this phase for us. I said to Emma today, when she gets a haircut, I feel like I enter a new chapter too. <laughs> very sorry it's just really in that way that's what i've tried to actually i'm trying to do that and again it's not an easy thing for sure because i'm programmed just to move 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 go but mm-hmm. i'm trying like even start I, I, I meditate a couple times a day now just to slow down and actually be acting i try to like slow down eating a little bit i try to slow down like not like i'm I'm impatient in a lot of cases when people are telling long stories and stuff like that. So I try to actually, okay, I'm going to listen instead of <laughs> my, my instant reaction is to like Cole's notes, Cole's notes. <laughs> I want the story quickly. Yeah. Whereas instead of, of slowing down and actually listening and like taking it in and, and actually hearing what they're saying instead of trying to get to the, to the quick, get to the inf- information tidbits quickly right so are you still skipping over the dialogue when you read books i do to some extent i do speed read stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> i don't want i don't want to know what color the wall was in the room it's irrelevant to me i'm like describe everything to me i want to know it all and he's like cole's notes <laughs> <laughs> it's also good to note that both grant and dwight are sagittarius's oh damn yeah oh. We're sharing signs. We're sharing signs and breakfast when I come to Calgary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll take you on some real, some very good hiking out here too. Oh, uh, now we, we have to all hang out. <laughs> God, we'll all meet at Grant's at breakfast time in Calgary. Yeah. Perfect. Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Do you guys have any questions for us? What did you learn from the men in your life? Ooh. Well, what I learned from my father, many things, but... I would say that the one thing that feels the most concrete and that I always come back to is that I always felt so trusted by you. And I think that is one of the most like comforting feelings a child can have is that their parents trust them. And it really, I think, made me want to make like good decisions and not only good decisions in that were like, you know, the safe decision or the easy decision, because I, I still took risks and like had fun and and still continue to do that. But I I think just knowing that you trusted my judgment and I don't know how you really did that. I don't know how you showed me that you trusted me, but I just always felt that. And I think it has really propelled me in a way to be like, okay, I trust myself too. Like I will make good decisions. Mm. Oh, thanks for that. That's beautiful. I really appreciate you saying that. (laughs) I think the main thing for me is um, just always you, I mean, both my parents always told me like, you can do anything you set your mind to. And I think I believed that because I knew that no matter what I did, even if they didn't agree with it, I would have their unwavering support. And this is kind of like a silly example, but this is like the example that comes to my mind right now is 
when I was 16 and I wanted my belly button pierced so bad because when you were 16 in Barrie, Ontario, that is what you were did if you were hot bitch. So (laughs) I went with my friends when I turned 16, like right away to get my belly button pierced. But then when I got to the place, like my card wouldn't work or something. And let's be straight up. My parents were not interested in me having my belly button pierced, especially my dad. But I called him and I was like, my card isn't working. I need you to come here. I need your card to pay for this. So not only did he come down to give me his card to pay for the belly button piercing, but he also held my hand while I got it done. So (laughs) (laughs) it's just this, like, you can do anything you set your mind to. And no matter what you do, even if you fail, like, I'm going to be supported. Like, I will have your support. And that's just huge because... I think no matter what risk I take or where I go or what I do, or if I try something and change my mind and try something else, like I think the reason that I can do those things and the reason why I just go out and take risks and do them is because I have that foundation and I've always known that and I've never questioned it. And then I think too, with like my relationships as well, is I believe that anybody can do anything they set their mind to. And I just want to be that unwavering sense of support for everyone in my life as well. Hmm. Did you like those answers, dads? I thought they were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they, were they short enough for you, Dwight? Were you still listening? <laughs> I actually listened to every word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are you both reading right now? At the end of the episode, we always ask everyone what they're reading. A little book club moment for you. I have yeah. two books on the go right now. I'm, I'm reading a Clive Cussler, and then I'm also reading this one my mom got me, which teaches you how to actually... Uh, nurture your dog and the feet the food and the everything to, to help a dog live a longer healthier life type of thing five hmm. cuss is more of like an adventure usually is some kind of a basis of something that had historically happened way and they actually go and find like shipwrecks and these types of things and adventure around in what's it called five cussler huh he's the author do you still i mean i know you read them because you like them but do you feel that there's like a sentimental aspect of reading those books for you because you and Derek and grandpa would like circulate them a lot. I enjoy the books, but yeah, that's how I definitely got, got interested in them for sure. And stuff like that. There's a few, there's a few different authors that, yeah, Derek and my dad and I would share. So yeah, they're definitely, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's a, if there's a psychological component there, it's quite possible. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Grant? Tithi? I don't know where the athe came from, but I'm going to <laughs> Yeah, I, I have books to, to read. I I always say, you know, I, I live with a voracious reader, um, and she's just constantly reading. And I, I always we we talk I've read lots of books, but I right now I'm I read so much during the day. I it's it's a bit of a cop out that I do, you know, basically I read most of the most of the day at work dad just say what i say when taylor asks me what am i reading i say i'm not reading anything right she now. literally goes i'm not reading anything i don't have any time no <laughs> i just i'm always like even, okay i can't wrap my mind around reading at, when i'm at, when i'm in my free time i just it's the last thing i almost want to do but yeah um mm-hmm. i have a couple of i do have a book from i, I want to get to I, actually for some reason i've got comedian books on, on my shelf right now to read and one's from mm-hmm. Billy Connolly and one's from uh, Jerry Seinfeld and I I'm 
that I'm going to try to find the time to read those, hopefully this summer. Nice. Emma, what are you reading? <laughs> are you reading The Wolves? No, I actually did start a new book. I found a book box book. It's Ooh. called it's called Good on Paper. And it's this, I've only like a couple chapters in, but it's this fictional fictional novel about this woman in her 40s who has like a 12-year-old daughter and she lives with her gay friend who's a university professor and she is an Italian translator and she just got a she got a telegram from some famous Italian poet that wants her to translate his book and it's a really exciting thing going on that's how far I'm in (laughs) Mm -hmm. what are you reading Taylor I finally finished The Wolves. Oh, good. Finally. And it was like this thing where it actually, at the end, there's a point, there's like the afterword. And she says like, the book is meant to be read slowly. And I was like, okay, good. Because it literally took me months. But then I closed it. I finished it and I closed it. And I was like, well, now what? Like, that was a big part of my life. (laughs) Um, But I'm also, Emma, you're going to laugh at me because this is totally random but I'm reading Mick Fleetwood's autobiography right now like like Fleetwood Mac yeah like the drummer from Fleetwood Mac Mick Fleetwood um and it was a book box moment I think I picked it up from a book box and just like had it in the van for a long time so and I like reading musicians autobiographies often so yeah that's me well I think we've answered all of our questions well thank you so much for this y'all yeah thank you this was wonderful thank you ladies yeah thank you ladies we really enjoyed this i i I, i'm so glad that you invited me to do it i'm i really appreciate going through this with you thank you dad go eat dinner all right love you bye bye everybody okay Well, that was our fathers. Yeah. We love them dearly. And we're so grateful that they decided to quite enthusiastically be interviewed by us and, you know, really take to heart the questions we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite enthusiastically, but then also... I mean, we've talked, we talked about afterwards how it was like kind of funny to try to go into this after the episode with our moms and that feeling so vulnerable and intimate right away. And then to try and do that with our dads, we both kind of felt like, you know, we maybe had to get over that hump at the beginning of like getting them to go there with us and yeah, definitely reflecting. I was, I remember being nervous beforehand for whatever reason. And then me too. It wasn't like during it, I was, I was like, oh, I didn't need to be nervous. I'm actually feeling like they're not giving us much to go with. And then yeah. it was, like slowly shifted. And I was like, okay, there's some like, there's some stuff here and they're just like warming up. And this is just like the difference between like men and women really clearly right now, I feel. Definitely. I felt like it was, um, it was literally just 
different interviewing men because there's more work involved in cracking them open. Like, honestly, I feel like we're so used to interviewing women and women are kind of in spaces that feel safe with other women are just kind of willing to go there because they're just able to tap into that. Whereas men, even though like we're their daughters, we're supposed to be like so close, like close to them. And like, this is like having these intimate conversations. It still felt like kind of like work to like get over that hump. Mm-hmm. And we just have so, yeah. like a lot of training doing that in our mm-hmm. lives. Like quite literally, like my dad said in the interview, he was like, well, I don't really have that many close male friends that I can be really vulnerable with around certain topics. Right. That just goes to show like, yeah, it can be really tough, but it's worth it. It's also this male tendency to turn everything into a joke when they feel uncomfortable talking about certain things. Mm. Like I was, I noticed that all the time in men. And I guess like most, it doesn't have to be a gendered thing. Like a lot of us do that because it's like a defense mechanism. But especially in men, it's this interesting thing where like they can literally just like laugh after saying anything and turn it into kind of a joke and then it like excuses any amount of like depth that or like yeah any amount of like depth that they had to like go into kind of gets brushed off with a giggle I don't know oh I know exactly what you mean and it makes me think honestly I even do that sometimes when I'm talking about things that either make me uncomfortable or that I'm not fully confident in like if I'm even talking about something that I'm interested in or something that I'm doing I'll notice I will kind of laugh about it to protect myself and kind Mm -hmm. of be like it just it shows me that I'm not fully yeah like confident or sure of what I'm talking about so it's a little bit of a like oh but I'm gonna I'll just laugh to be like but don't worry it's light and like it's no big deal because it's a bit frightening still. Like, do you ever notice that in people or like in yourself? Totally. Well, it's exactly what you just said. It's the wanting to keep things light as opposed to like really going there. Mm -hmm. I think that like, I mean, if we contrast this episode with the conversation with her moms, like with our moms, we like, we fucking went there. Mm -hmm. And with this one, it did kind of feel like things were kept a bit lighter. I mean, you even say at one point, like, I'm interested in the hard stuff. And they're both like, no, it was like, it was great. And I think we were both kind of sitting there be like, nah, that's bullshit. Like there were times when you did not want to be a dad. Yeah. Literally, you my regret dad- having me. <laughs> yeah, it's like a defense mechanism to keep things light and fun and fine so that like nothing real actually comes up and then we have to like deal with it. Mm-hmm. yeah let's pull tarot about it let's let's okay I've got a new deck going here I was given it for my birthday and it is this like art deco golden art nouveau tarot it's really beautiful and the card sorry Jericho yeah, sorry, Jericho. <laughs> Still love you, but these cards are just so shiny and soft. Ooh. Interesting. I pulled the Hierophant, which is like mega, like 
oligarch, patriarch, pope, fucking tradition, like, interesting. Yeah, very, like, authoritative, masculine leadership energy. The Hierophant signifies the collective energy of teaching and learning through doctrine, through traditions old and new, and through conformity, the prevailing norms. This card can signify a desire to follow the path and its associated rites of passages that people expect of you, to find trustworthy teachers and pursue knowledge that could confirm or else shift your current beliefs in a transformative way. If you're called to teach what you know, do it with the best intention to serve. It's the Taurus card and the themes are tradition, convention, learning, and conformity. Mm. It's really interesting, like talking about um, this card can signify a desire to follow the path that people expect of you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're chatting with our dads in this episode basically being like I mean not that we ever said like what do you think of us our paths or like are you proud of us but kind of begging for them to give us some sort of tea on how maybe they're like not into what we're doing and then the whole time they're like no we love you you're good like we're, we're proud of you like <laughs> we're just like but I don't believe you <laughs> right It's almost like us wanting to like rebel without needing to Mm. in some way. Like, I feel like, you know, like maybe because neither of us like followed any sort of like traditional path, like, um, maybe, yeah, it's like this like continuous state of like rebellion that we feel we need to kind of almost be in. I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes I feel like I get defensive towards my dad because I feel like he like doesn't like, I don't know, you don't understand me, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that energy. Yeah. But it, it's also interesting because the Hierophant to me kind of symbolizes like an older generation. Yeah. Like the previous generation and like the wisdom and the teachings and the learning that we need from the previous generation. And I find Mm -hmm. that that is really valuable in relation to my dad, because I do find myself like learning how to digest and empathize with the perspective of his generation through conversations with him about whatever's going on in the world and things like that. Because I find so often, especially in like the political divided world that we live in, people just are very quick to dismiss the opinions of a different generation or even just a different political view. They just, it's like, no, if you don't agree with me, then I'm just going to dismiss you. I don't even want to hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And I find that actually taking the time, even if you don't agree, to listen to people of opposing beliefs actually often is like a very enriching learning experience Mm, I'm so on board with that this card is totally a reminder to like honor and learn from elders wisdom tradition like it's not all negativity that we see like uh, what am I trying to say when I think of 
older ways um, in a more colonial context or just from sort of my own ancestry immediately I'm like oh that's the wrong way or they did it wrong or they the only the right way is forward and like the newer generations but there's such a loss and lack of looking to our elders looking to tradition and finding lessons there and like you said sitting down and being like I'm open to hearing your perspective because why am I right just because I'm younger totally yeah it's like this idea that we literally uplift we like dismiss older generations that have lived entire lifetimes and had experiences that we haven't even had the chance to yet and we literally place people that know how to use canva above them because they can like (laughs) they can literally like circulate like one liners in a catchy way that looks good on Instagram. Yeah. So we're like, Oh, that, that must be right. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you said too, like looking back, like from a colonial lens, like, yeah, it's easy to be like, Oh, like, you know, my, the previous generations did it wrong. Like I need to be nothing like them, but also like in some ways, like there's a lot of wisdom in anyone that has lived lifetimes before you. Yeah. Like there's so much value in sitting down with grandparents or folks of that generation and just literally hearing what they're thinking, you know? I don't know. Is this making you want to hang out with your grandparents tomorrow? I just find that we have a tendency to get self-righteous because like of the power of social media and the way you can get people behind your thoughts or get behind other people's thoughts so quickly. Like, Mm -hmm. sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, just like, I think I tried to mention this in our episode to our fathers, but it didn't really... I think I kind of lost the thought of it, but um, I remember feeling so self-righteous in university and coming home on breaks and being like, let me tell you everything that you're wrong about. And just thinking that my dad was wrong about so many things and that, you know, luckily it never went to like a really extreme level or anything like that. I kind of leveled out, but um I think that's really damaging to a lot of relationships and yeah, just really self-righteous. I mean, I totally remember that feeling as well. I remember like coming home and like, literally I mentioned this in the episode. I remember coming home and like, cause all my life, my dad had been like, Oh, women are so nasty to each other in the workplace. So when I learned about like feminist thought and like the sisterhood wound I remember coming home and being like yo this is what's up like this is what this is and just being like yeah like on one hand like yeah there was a bit of self-righteousness there was also a lot of passion there for me because I was healing like as a young woman healing like my own internalized misogyny but also I think it's interesting I felt like at that time this responsibility to like educate him because I wanted him to understand women like not even just me but I remember reflecting on 
how he would say that women were nasty to each other and all these things. And I would be like, oh yeah, women suck, you know? And that's what I thought because I thought my dad was right about everything growing up. So I was just like, oh yeah, women suck. And then when I learned that as an adult, I was like, wait, no, actually take a step back. (laughs) Yeah. But then I think we had to go through those phases of really unraveling and unlearning in an intense way to then kind of be able to, you know, swing the pendulum to the other side and then kind of come back to some point in the middle. And I feel like, at least for me, that's where I'm sitting at now is I'm sort of like marinating in this place in the middle that's ever still swinging and and moving and changing. But we had to go through that. I mean, it wasn't extreme, but like maybe dramatic. I don't know. We were, we were passionate about things that felt really gripping at the time and still are so gripping and important, but you know, yeah, I think we had to move through that and I'm grateful for it, but I'm also grateful that I'm not as cutthroat and mean about it as I once was, I think. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're right. Like you do, there's like, passion is beautiful. Fire is beautiful and it gets a bad rep and a bad name and it gets shamed a lot of the time. But I mean, even though maybe we were a little bit dramatic and intense about it at the time, like I'm sure they probably learned something from us, you know, or they wouldn't like, those are conversations that like, maybe they would have never had. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely think there is some value in it. Yeah. For sure. And I, I don't think it's bad to be fiery. I, I have to just be honest about that because there's so many people that are like, cool your fire, cool your fire. And like, yeah, yeah sure. Like, don't let it get out of control, but let it be there. Let it, let yourself be angry. Let yourself drive change. Let yourself react, you know? Well, yeah. So that was the dads. That was the dads. Our dear, and, dear daddios. And What's this full moon coming up in? Fucking Capricorn, dude. Fucking Capricorn, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it couldn't be yeah. more perfect. That is the vibe. It's literally that, yeah, Daddy Moon. Daddy Moon. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. Okay. It, on that note, get your patriarchal energy going and <laughs> I don't know, read, read some scripture or something. <laughs> get your patriarchal energy going and read some scripture. Taylor Neal signing <laughs> off. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Only the speed of trust. <laughs> oh my God. Said me never. <laughs> okay but seriously just like I don't know make a to-do list or something yeah get some yang energy going mm-hmm. you know, we love ya and we're blooming, blooming away, away. Day, day by day, by day. <laughs> bye toodaloo